Well, today we begin a brand new series called Bottom of the Ninth, and as you can tell, it has a baseball theme. And I thought I'd start with a little uh, baseball trivia for all of our churches, Buckhead to Watermark, Gwinnett Church, Hey Gwinnett Church, to Decatur City, to Athens, Southside, Wiregrass, all of our partnership churches and North Point Online. How many of you remember Francisco Cabrera, the baseball player? Anybody remember? Yeah, that's a few of you. That's a few of you. If you don't know who Francisco Cabrera is, no worries. Just hold that thought. We're going to actually come back to him, and you're going to discover that you might actually have something in common with him today. Now, what I'd like to do for the first couple of minutes, I'd like to tell you why we're doing a series called Bottom of the Night, why we think it's important for you to be here, why we think it's important for the people in your life, and why we think it's important for you to spend the remainder of this series with us. And to do that, I want to introduce you to the question of this series that we're going to look at for the entire time. And the question is, have you ever felt behind in an area of life? Have you ever felt behind in an area of life? Maybe an example that we can all relate to is our to-do list, right? Could you relate to that? A few of you, uh, by the way, if you're in any of our churches and you've never felt behind in your to-do list on behalf of the rest of us, we, we hate you, okay? Because <laughs> God loves you, but hey, I think for the most of us, we know what it feels like to be behind in our to-do list. In fact, if you were to do a baseball scoreboard of the to-do list versus you, it, maybe it'll look like something like this. Does it look familiar to you? Like you got a ways to go. You're behind. You know, it's 27 to three. You're, you, you feeling, you're feeling behind as it relates to your to-do list. Now, some of you look at this and you're like, No, that's not the scoreboard of my to-do list. Here's how I feel. That's that's where we're going, right? I mean, you're you're getting totally stressed out just by looking at that. So I'll I'll walk away, right? Now, what if you replace to-do list with something else? Maybe have there ever ever been a season in your life when you've been behind financially? Or has there ever been a season in your life when you've been behind relationally? Maybe a relationship with your family, a family member, maybe a relationship with a coworker, maybe the person you're dating, maybe the person you're married to. Have you ever felt behind relationally? Or maybe have you ever felt behind in your career? You feel like you should be here, but you're kind of back here and you're not quite where you want to be. Or, or maybe have you ever felt behind emotionally? Maybe you, that battle against a particular emotion. And the reality is if you've ever thought, felt like that in your past and your present, I, I think that's actually really normal. In fact, wouldn't you agree that part of life is there's some really good things going on and there's some really challenging things going on? And in the middle of all that, when you feel like you're behind in a particular area, though, there's an emotion that begins to surface. And the emotion looks like this. The emotion feels like this. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been here? Have you ever felt like this? And what we're, why, the reason we're calling this, this series the bottom of the night is when it comes to the bottom of the night, there's something really, really significant about it. One of the things I love about baseball is baseball isn't ruled by a clock. Baseball is more hopeful from that. That You never have a bottom of the ninth unless you're behind or you're tied. At some point in the game, you got behind or you didn't get ahead. But what baseball says is this, and this is an important theme about bottom of the ninth. When it comes to the bottom of the ninth, baseball basically says this. Hey, you may be down, but you're not out. You may be down, but you're not out. This is a theme of the bottom of the ninth. And yet what we're going to see in this series is this isn't just true for baseball. This is true for life. You may be down financially, but you're not out. You may be down in that particular relationship, but you're not out. You may be down in this particular or behind in this particular area of life, but you are not out. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. But rather than tell you what this series is about, I want to show you ultimately what we hope and, and believe can happen for all of us if there's an area or areas that we might be behind in. I want to show you uh, what we believe symbolically. This is a metaphor, so you're going to have to work with me a little bit, but I want to show you where we're going in this series. And to do that, I want to show you one of the greatest bottom of the ninth moments in baseball history. 
because this will show you where we're going in this series. I want to take you back to the 1992 National League Championship Series. The Pittsburgh Pirates, the Atlanta Braves, Game 7. The Pirates are up 2-1. to one. It's two outs, bottom of the ninth. The whole season, and the winner goes to the World Series. The loser goes home, and up to the plate steps a little-known Atlanta Brave named Francisco Cabrera. Watch this. In right center. If he hits one there, we can dance in the streets. The 2-1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Breed. Here's the throw to the plate. He is Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. They may have to hospitalize Sid Breed. He's down at the bottom of a huge pile at the plate. They help him to sleep. That's what I'm talking about right there, people. That's what we're talking about right there. Now, if you are a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, you picked the wrong Sunday to come to church, all right? And I do want to say hey to Northridge Church, our partnership church in Pittsburgh. We love you, even though it doesn't seem like we do today, okay? Now, wasn't that amazing? Now, what, what a lot of Atlanta Braves fans forget about that series is this. They forget about the context. The Braves were actually up three games to one in this series, okay? All they had to do was win one more game and they go to the World Series, they lost game five. Then they lost game six and all the momentum is now against the Braves and all of the momentum is on the side of the Pittsburgh Pirates. They come back to game seven in Atlanta. The Pirates jump out to a two to nothing lead. They go to the bottom of the ninth and some of the Braves fans had already begun to leave the stadium. And so it comes up, the Braves get a run in, but they've got two outs now, runners on second and third. And now it's time in the, the lineup for the pitcher to come up to hit. So Bobby Cox, the manager, replaces the pitcher and pinch hits for the pitcher. And he looks down his bench and he picks a guy named Francisco Cabrera. Francisco Cabrera had batted in the entire season all of 10 times. That's it. He'd gotten three hits. He had batted at one time in this series and did not get a hit against the guy he's now facing, Stan Belinda. So in essence, what had happened with Francisco Cabrera is he's only been to bat 11 times and he's failed most of the time. But what Francisco Cabrera did is he did not let his past failures as a baseball player, that he'd failed most of the time as a hitter, and he didn't let the enormity of the situation define him. You know what Francisco Cabrera did when his manager, when his leader said, I want you to go up and step up to the plate? What he did is he took his bat and he stepped up to the plate. And here's the thing. The fact that he did not allow the fact, as I mentioned earlier, his past failures to define him, nor did he allow the enormity and the difficulty of the situation to define him either. In fact, think about this, the whole entire season, the whole entire fact that they either will go to the World Series or not rest on his shoulder. And don't forget this, standing on second base is the winning run. Sid Bream, one of the best players in baseball, an incredible human being. But let's be honest, and Sid would agree with this, standing on second base is the slowest man in baseball. (laughs) Right? Wouldn't you agree with that? In fact, if you lived in Atlanta at that time, when Sid Bream rounded third base, the entire city went in slow motion. It was like, go, Sid, go. Because, you know, he's a great baseball player, but he was just slow. But with all of that, Francisco Cabrera stepped up to the plate and he said, I still think I can get a hit. I still think I can do this. I'm not going to let my past failures or the current situation define me. Now, I wonder... I wonder how many people in today's world, if you feel like you're behind in a particular area, I wonder how many people allow their past failures to define them. I wonder how many people 
allow the impossibility or the seemingly impossibility of the current reality that's facing them define them. I wonder how many people think that the future is just going to be more of the present and the past. So here's where we're going in this series, and, and, and we want you to be here. We've got something, I think, something very challenging, very helpful today, but here's where we're going, and this is a challenge. Do not let, don't let your past failures or your current reality define you. Let God define you. Do not let your past failures or your current reality define you. Let God define you. And here's why this is important as it relates to God and your heavenly father and the bottom of the night. When it comes to the bottom of the night, your heavenly father specializes in bottom of the night moments. Your heavenly father specializes in turning things around. Your heavenly father is really, really good at taking what seems to be impossible for you and me and bringing and birthing possibility out of what seems like it is impossible. And if you're here today and you're facing a situation where you may be in a bottom of the third moment, it might be the bottom of the fifth moment, or it might be a bottom of the ninth moment. If you are behind in a particular area of life, here's the good news. Your heavenly father specializes in turnarounds. He specializes in come from behind victories. And that's where we're going today. But to do that, here's what you're going to need. For you to believe that, and it's easy for me to say this because I may not know what's going or probably don't know what's going on in your particular situation and circumstance. For you to believe this and step up to the plate and believe that God can define you and you're not going to allow the past or the present to define you. To do that, here's what you're going to need. You're going to need this. If you don't have this, it's very difficult to have a bottom of the night turnaround. And for some of you, and I totally understand this, some of you've come in today without this, and you've got plenty of reasons why. You got a phone call about a particular situation. There's something going on with your family. There's a career challenge. There's a financial challenge. There's a lot of challenges, and it's easy not to have this. But here's where we're going in this series, and here's where we're going today. We believe, because of what we're going to look at today, you can walk out of here today with this no matter what might be going on. And the reason I can say that is because what we're going to do for a few minutes today is I want to point you to what I believe and what we believe to be the greatest source of hope, the greatest credible source of hope, the greatest credible source of bringing possibility out of impossibility, of turning things around. We're going to look at a statement that the greatest credible source of hope ever said, the statement of a man named Jesus. And what I want to do, I'm going to share with you a story from the life of Jesus. It's a conversation. And in a conversation, Jesus says a sentence. And what we're going to do is we're going to lift out this sentence and we're going to give it to you as a gift to carry with you this week. And in this sentence, we're going to lift out four words. We're going to ask you to lean into these four words this week. And when we're done, we're going to ask you to do three things. The first thing I think is going to be really simple and helpful. The second thing we're going to ask you to do is going to be really simple and helpful. And the third thing we're going to ask you to do before you leave today will be simple and maybe challenging. But it might be the beginning of a breakthrough, a turnaround moment. And the reason that's important is because your heavenly father, your savior, specializes in bottom of the ninth moments. So here's the story. One day, Jesus is walking along and he's approached by a young man. And the Bible lets us know that this young man was a very wealthy man. 
And they began to have a conversation. And he asked Jesus a question. He says, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do to go to heaven? So that's a pretty good question. So he and Jesus begin a conversation. They start talking about the 10 commandments. And the, and the young man says, oh, I've got all that done. You know, check, check, check. What else you got? In essence, the young man says, if God's here, I'm probably right here. What else do I need to do to make my way to God and earn eternal life? Now, as we've seen, if you've been around here for a while, anytime people have a conversation with Jesus, the challenging thing is he can look into your heart and really know what's going on. And so Jesus looks into the heart of this young man and he knows what's going on. He says, hey, I've got an, I've got an idea. Why don't you take all your possessions, sell them, give the proceeds away to the poor, and then come follow me. How about that? And the Bible says that this rich young man walked away very, very sad because he had a lot of wealth. And then in this moment, Jesus says something that's really remarkable, really brilliant. And he's bringing everyone within listening ear along with him. And he's saying something to you and to me. And as this rich young man walks away, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says this. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He continues. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's really easy to look at this sentence and think that Jesus is making a commentary on wealth. Jesus is making a commentary on having money. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think it's safe to say that there's certainly the glitter of this world can take us away from the substantial things that will stand the test of time. But that's not where Jesus is going here. And the reason I don't think that this is where Jesus is going here is because of the next verse. The next verse not only gives us context for what Jesus is saying here, it gives us context for the culture in which Jesus is speaking into. As Jesus says this, his disciples, men of little means who had little money, they said this, or they reacted this way. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Astonished as in perplexed. Astonished as in confused. Astonished as in greatly concerned. And here's why. In this day and time, if someone was rich or someone was wealthy, there was the assumption that the reason they were wealthy is because they had God's favor upon them. That they had God's blessing on them. So if you were a wealthy person, that meant somehow you had a closer connection to God. And yet what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 no. It's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, which allows and forces the disciples to ask this question. They're greatly astonished. And then they ask, well, then who then can be saved? Now, don't miss this. This is another example of why Jesus is so brilliant. See this question right here? This is the question that the rich young man began with. Remember that? Hey, how do I get to heaven? Who can be saved? Jesus hears that question. He goes, you know what? That's not only a question for you. It's a question for everybody listening. And it's not only a question for everybody listening. 2,000 years later, Matthew, write this down. They're going to be talking about this story. Who then can be saved? And here's the answer from Jesus' perspective. No one. Left to your own devices, left to your own works, absolutely no one. It's not your heavenly father's here and you're here. And if you'll just try a little harder, that's not what we're dealing with. That's not the God that we're dealing with. 
It's the bottom of the ninth and you're down a gazillion runs. You have no hope. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many times you go to mass. I don't care how many times you go to confession. I don't care how many times you go to Bible study. All those things are wonderful. But at the end of the day, left to your own devices, you can't make your way to God. It's hopeless. And so what Jesus says, he looks at the disciples and he says this, with man, this is impossible. And a little preview of where we're going in just a second. I know that many of you have a great impossibility facing you right now. You have a great impossibility relationally or financially or career or health-wise. You have a great impossibility facing you. But please understand, and I'm not trying to make light of what's facing you. The greatest impossibility that's currently facing you is not the greatest impossibility that has ever faced you. The greatest impossibility that has ever faced you and me is that we were hopelessly separated from a holy God and there's nothing that we could do about it on our own. So what do we do? Well, let me give you a perspective of where Jesus is taking us here. And to do that, let me give you an example from, from my life when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I loved playing Little League baseball, Little League basketball, Little League football. And when I was growing up, if your team was getting beat by a lot of runs or a lot of points, you just had to endure it, all right? That was just part of it. In fact, I played on a basketball team. I'm not making this up. In fact, I don't even know why I would make this up. I played on a basketball team that lost 101 to 14. And if that wasn't embarrassing enough, I was on an all-star team, all right? So my all-star team lost 101 to 14. We didn't lose the game at halftime. We lost this game in the pregame warmups, all right? We, we knew that there was not a chance. And so we're down 40 points at halftime, all right? So you think we would just go home. No, we have to go back and play the entire second half and ended up losing 101 to 14. So the coach gets us, to, at the end of the game, the coach gets us together. And he says, boys, you just learned an incredible life lesson. And that was it. That's all he told us. We didn't know what the life <laughs> lesson was. So we're talking among ourselves, just as boys, and we're thinking, well, maybe the life lesson is find a better coach. Maybe, maybe that, apparently, because how, how, how do you do that? So, so when I was growing up, you just got beat 101 to 14, and that's a great life lesson. Now, somewhere along the line, somebody, I don't know who it was, came up with this idea called the mercy rule. Anybody remember, know what the mercy rule is? If you're a parent or you've played sports growing up, basically the mercy rule says, at some point, we're going to intervene. At some point, this game is completely out of, out of hope, so we're going to intervene. So the mercy rule basically says, and it differs in different regions, but hey, if it's baseball, if you're down by 15 runs, we're going to call the game. Or in basketball, if you're down by 30 points, we're just going to keep the clock running the whole time, all right? So you can just call timeout every time the clock just keeps running. I, I experienced this recently, the last couple of years. My wife, Wendy, uh, she said, you know, for our staff at Gwinnett Church, we ought to have a Gwinnett Church staff softball team. So I thought, okay. So we had a Gwinnett Church staff softball team. And uh, we began to understand over the last couple of years that one of the ways we are ministering to the county in Gwinnett is by allowing them to beat us really badly in softball. <laughs> You know, you can keep beating us. God loves you. You know, that's the kind of thing. And they have Gwinnett County Parks and Recreation. They have a mercy rule. If you're down by 15 runs, we call the game. All right. So we like to go to pizza afterwards. I'm not lying. A couple of times the game has started at seven. We've been ordering pizza at 720. That's how, that's how bad, that's how bad this is. Okay. Now that's a version of the mercy rule. You have no hope. You're going to lose. Let's get this over as quickly as possible. 
Now, the reason I bring up the mercy rule is your heavenly father has his version of the mercy rule. His version of the mercy rule is that you are hopelessly and I was hopelessly separated. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so here's God's version of the mercy rule. Here's how it sounds. For God so loves you. For God so loves you. Ma'am, for God so loves you. Ma'am, for God so loves you. Sir, for God so loves you. For God so loves you. For God so loves me. He sent his only son that whoever believes in the name of Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. Don't miss that. That's the answer to the rich young man's question. That's the answer to the disciples' question. Who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but don't miss this, with God all things are possible. So God, your heavenly father, sends Jesus. And Jesus lives a perfect life. He models. He's God in the flesh. And he says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And after three years of incredible ministry, he's arrested on trumped up charges. He's tried and convicted. And he's beaten. He's slapped. He's kicked. He's mocked. He's spit upon. And he's ultimately flogged, scourged, whipped, and nailed on a cross, and he suffocates to death. Then he's ripped down from that cross, thrown into a borrowed tomb like a scoundrel. The stone is rolled over the tomb, and the story of Jesus is over. It was a good run, good try. But it's the bottom of the ninth, and we're down a gazillion runs, and there's no way to make our way to the God, and our one and only hope has been killed. And it's bottom of the ninth, two outs, strike one. And then that Saturday, nothing at all happens. No comeback, nobody around the tomb thinking that anything's going to happen. And then here's what everyone thought. This Jesus gave it a good try. He tried to make, get, bridge us to God. But it's over. It's over. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like it's over? You ever felt like there's no hope? You ever felt like there's no reason going on? It's over. Here's what you need to understand about your heavenly father. Nothing is ever over when it comes to God. God never runs out of time. He actually holds eternity in his hands. That's why That next day on Sunday, God breathed that tomb, breathed on that tomb, and that stone came rolling away. And Jesus walked out of the tomb. 
And when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the greatest impossibility that has ever faced you became possible. You can now become a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. You know that you can know God not only now, but forever more. And what that means for us today is if God can bring his son back from the grave, he can bring your situation back from the grave. If God can bring his son back to life, he can bring your hopes back to life. If God can bring his son back to life with hope, he can do the same with you. Yes, the situation's facing you, it's big. Yes, it's dawning. And yes, it might look impossible, but it's not the greatest impossibility that has ever faced you. The greatest impossibility that has ever faced you has become possible. And with God, What that means is with God, all things are possible. And so what we want to do this week is we want to just lift out of this verse, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. You're going to get this on the way out. It's this little card. Didn't cost us a whole lot of money to print this, but I'm telling you, it's an enormous value because you're going to see this verse. And then we lift out four words that we believe that Jesus is in essence saying here. He's saying with God, anything is possible. People with God, anything is possible. People. Yes, I know you may be down. Yes, I know it may be difficult. Yes, I know it may be challenging. And yes, I know it might seem impossible. But if Jesus is alive, anything is possible. And what that means for us is if we're going to lean into this, here's the mindset that we need to have. We need to be anything is possible kind of people. We need to be anything is possible kind of people. So let me ask you, especially those of you who've been following Jesus for a while. How big are you praying? How big are you dreaming? If Jesus is really alive, we need to be anything as possible people. Don't you dare let your past failures or things haven't gone out, gone the way exactly the way you thought they may have gone. Don't you dare let that define you. You allow yourself to be defined that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. That's where I'm going to start. And if Jesus is alive, then anything is possible. It's what I tell our amazing team at Gwinnett Church. We're talking about a new idea and, and, and all the things that we're trying to do. I'll say, you know what, we'll say, the team will say, can, will this work? And, and I'll say, I don't know if it'll work. And we need to be as best kind of leaders as we possibly can. We need to be good stewards. We need to do due diligence, all the stuff that you need to do. But at the end of the day, anything is possible. Let's go for it. Anything is possible because Jesus is alive. In fact, if you're watching this at a video venue, let me tell you why this is important. Did you know why there's a video venue from Pittsburgh to to Wiregrass to places around the country in Canada and places around the world? Let me tell you why. Several years ago, the church where I am right now, North Point Community Church, started talking to a group of people in Buckhead, which is about 25 or 30 minutes from here or with Atlanta traffic about two and a half hours. (laughs) Right? And so the people in Buckhead said, hey, we would like to have a church like you have in North Point. And the people here said, hey, that's a great idea. And so the idea came up, hey, what if we did like a video church and and video stream the teaching from North Point or or did that? Would that work? I mean, this was unheard of thinking at the time. So what this church, North Point Community Church, you ready for this North Point Community Church? North Point leased and renovated an old torn down or old abandoned grocery store. They said this church spent $3 million on an idea that we weren't even sure if it would work. 
But you know what? <laughs> if Jesus is alive, we should be anything is possible kind of people. And I was there those early days at Buckhead Church. And to see what God has done at Buckhead Church is absolutely phenomenal. But you know where it traces back to? It traces back to a small group of people in Buckhead that says, you know what? I think Jesus is alive and anything is possible. And traces it back to this church saying, you know what? Let's be generous kind of people. Let's be anything is possible kind of people. Doesn't mean that things will always work out exactly the way we want them to. But the question is, are you dreaming big? Are you praying big? Because we should be anything is possible kind of of people because our heavenly father specializes in turnarounds in bringing the possible out of the impossible, bringing hope out of seemingly hopeless situations. And the apostle Paul put it much better than I can could. He said it this way. He said, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Don't miss this. This is, this is a game-changing, transformative verse, especially if you're in a bottom-of-the-ninth moment. What this means, and our friend Christian Stenfield wrote a song earlier this year. He said it this way. The same power that rolled the stone away is the same power alive in us today. That's a game-changer. <laughs> the same power that rolled the stone away, that same power lives in those of us who follow Jesus. What that means is, is that you have the power of God in you to dream big and to pray big, no matter if you are behind in a particular area of life. You may be down, but you're not out. It's just the bottom of the ninth. And God loves the bottom of the ninth. So what do you do with that? What do you do do with that? Well, I want to point you to three things I'm going to ask you to do. The first two, I think, are really, really simple and powerful. And the third one, I think, is really, really simple and challenging. But I think if you'll lean into one of these, it could have that breakthrough or begin to put you on a breakthrough. And as I said, what we're hoping in this series is we may not get there in four weeks, but we're hoping in this series you'll begin to take steps through the steps, through the power of God in you to begin to take steps toward a breakthrough and to gain new ground. If you feel like you've lost ground and you want to gain new ground through the power of God, we believe you can do that. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to step up to the plate and pick one area that you might be behind in. And it may not be a bottom of the ninth moment for you. It might be a bottom of the third. It might be a bottom of the fifth, but you might think, you know what? If I don't change my schedule right now, it will have damaging impacts with my kids. So I got to do something. It's not bottom of the ninth. It might be bottom of the third. Or I got to get a better handle on my finances. It's not bottom of the ninth right now. It's bottom of the third, but I need to do something. Or with this particular relationship, if I don't do something, it could trend that way. So what I want you to do is just simply step up to the plate by saying, there's one area that I'm going to write down. I want you to write this down before you go to bed tonight. I want you to write down the area. You don't have to show it to anybody. It could be in a journal, whatever, scrap piece of paper. I just want you to write down. What is this one area? I mean, come on. Isn't it true that most of us, if not all of us, have at least one area that we're behind in? I do. And what is that one area? You don't have to show it to anybody, but before you go to bed tonight, you, you would say, Heavenly Father, this is that one area. And I'm stepping up to the plate and I'm not gonna allow my past failures to define me. I'm not gonna allow the struggle of the reality to define me. I'm going to allow you to define me. I'm gonna step up to the plate. Here's the one area. I need a breakthrough here. 
I need help here. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do, and this is really simple, is I'm going to ask you just to come back next week. How simple is that? So you bring that one area and maybe you bring it with you. Maybe you bring it in your pocket. Maybe you just bring it with you, but you come. No, maybe no one else knows what it is, but you come back next week and you are prepared for God to do something, to take a significant step next Sunday. That's simple, but it can be powerful. So pick one area, write it down tonight, come back next Sunday and let's see what God begins to do. And that leads me to the third one. And for some of you, you are in the bottom of the ninth. And it's not necessarily anything you've done wrong. Life just happened to you, perhaps. You got a phone call. You uh, had something happen in your business. You had something happen in a relationship. And you're here today and you would say, Jeff, I'm in a bottom of the ninth moment and I really need God to do something and I really need God to do something soon. And what we believe as a church is we believe the most significant thing that we can do for you is to pray for you and to pray over you. But we have this thing in our culture that we says, you know what? Hey, you're in our thoughts and prayers. You're in our thoughts and prayers. And I often wonder, do we really pray as much as we say that we are going to pray for people? And so I think we need to do a better job of saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. But hey, why don't we pray right now? I think the most significant thing that we can do as a church is to pray for you, particularly if you're in the bottom of the ninth moment. So what I'm going to ask you to do in a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to walk anywhere. You're just going to stand up. And by standing up, here's what you're doing. By standing up, you're just saying, hey, you know what? I'm in, I'm in a bottom of the ninth moment. And, and I need to know that God is near. And I just would love to walk away today to know that God's got this. And there's still hope. And God's going to turn this around. And when you stand up, here's what I'm going to ask for those of people who are sitting around you. I'm going to ask them to stand up. And they may not even know you, but I'm going to ask them to put their hands on your shoulder and to pray and just say, God, remind them that with you, all things are possible. God, give them hope. God, let them know that they've come to a church that loves them, that's for them. Now, if you're here today for the first time and that makes you feel a little awkward, I totally understand. You don't have to stand up. You can just sit where you are. But for those of you in a bottom of the ninth moment, there's nothing more helpful we can do but to pray for you. And you might think, well, you know what, Jeff, if I stand up, what if people think that I don't have it all together? Well, just so you know, everyone has already told us that by being here today. All right. By being here today, you've already let us know that you don't have it all together. All right. And hey, here's what I love about our churches. Our churches are not a museum showcasing perfect people. Our churches are hospitals for people in need of a savior. We don't think we're better than you. We've just found the Savior. And we want to pray you to him and pray to him over you. And so would you give us an opportunity to do that? And this might be the beginning, if you're in a bottom of the ninth moment, that begins your breakthrough, your turnaround. So if you would allow us the privilege, and if you want us to pray over you as a church, If you're in the bottom of the ninth moment, would you please stand up right now? Thank you. Thank you. And if you're wondering whether you should stand with all of these who've stood, you need to stand. 
Thank you for your courage. Thank you. And as you've seen these who've stood, I want you to now turn and start praying for them. Just put your hand on their shoulder. You may not even know who they are, but pray for them. And then I'll come back and close us and we'll be done. So pray for one another as a collection of churches to a God who can do exceedingly great things. all of us to now stand and I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer at all of our churches Heavenly Father thank you for those who've stood today thank you for the courage it took to stand thank you for the fact that we are churches that love people that care for people because you love and care for us and God I don't know the impossible situations that people may be facing right now but you do and thank you that in this time of prayer, this could begin a breakthrough moment of your power, of your hope. And may all of us walk away today knowing that even no matter what that might face us this week, there is still great reason to hope because the greatest impossibility that we're currently facing is not the greatest impossibility that we've ever faced. And that greatest impossibility that we've ever faced became possible when you brought your son out of the tomb. And that same spirit that rolled the stone away is alive in us today. And may we be men and women, sons and daughters, walking in that hope that is our prayer. And may you do something exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we can imagine in this series in the next few weeks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How about a hand for the people who had the courage to stand up today? So awesome. Well, we love you so much. I want to say hey to all of our churches at North Point Online. Please don't miss week two. Week two is going to be a game changer next week. We love you. Have a great week. We'll see you then.